You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. We will get to our mystery in a moment. But first, let's talk about what Ohio Mysteries has going on. As you know, we release episodes that coincide with the Acker Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. We recently released a two-parter with them on June 29th and June 30th. Please be sure to check out the story we did on Tommy Summericks and Ruth Guthrie. Also, I want to thank all of our supporters. If you would like to continue to see us grow, please make sure you hit the subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more. The best way to support us is to share our podcast with friends and family. Thank you for all of our supporters. And now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. It's time for a new mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us, as always, is our storyteller and journalist who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories with the Akron Beacon Journal, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. We are going to Cincinnati, but it's not 2022. It's October the 23rd, 1969. And the sunrise is accompanied by a frantic knocking on the door of a home on Beverly Hill Drive. That's in the city's Mount Lookout neighborhood, an upper middle-class enclave on the far east side overlooking the Ohio River Valley. Mrs. Lobert answers the door to find two children, four and five years old, in their pajamas. She recognizes them. They're the Dumbler children from across the street. Little Martin and Jane say their parents' bedroom door is locked, and they won't answer them. We can't wake up Mommy and Daddy, they tell her. Mrs. Lobert looks across the street to the two-story brick-and-frame home where the Dumblers lived. Two carved jack-o'-lanterns grin from the porch. A moment later... She spots the Dumbler's maid, Ruby Boehner, as Ruby hurries across the neighbor's lawn and joins the children. She had just gotten to the home and was able to get into the bedroom. She knew why the Dumblers weren't answering the children. Ruby tells the neighbor, thank God the kids slept through that. At 8.46 a.m., police arrive at the Dumbler's home to find a gruesome scene inside. 
29-year-old Martin Demler, his 27-year-old wife Patricia, and Patricia's 50-year-old mother, Mary Wilson, were all dead in the master bedroom. As investigators put together the story of what they see, they become convinced there must have been two, maybe even three killers at work here. Sometime during the night, the three adults were forced into the upstairs bedroom while little Martin and Jane were sleeping in the room on the first floor. Martin, Patricia, and Mary were tied up at the arms and ankles with cords that had been cut off lamps and appliances found around the house. Martin was stabbed twice in the chest with a steak knife from the kitchen, then shot in the head. There was also a glancing bullet wound on his cheek. Patricia was shot in the head first, then stabbed twice in the back and once in the chest after she was already dead. It suggested the killer had walked away, then returned for the final blows. Mary was shot once in the head. The fact that she was not stabbed made police believe she was collateral damage and not the target. Mary was there visiting. She and her husband, Fred, lived in Wyoming, but Fred was being treated for a heart attack at a local hospital. The killer, or killers, used a pillow to silence the shots from their thirty-eight caliber pistols. After all three victims were dead, the gunman removed the constraints from each body, took the cords with them, then locked the bedroom door on the way out. Police put together a timeline of activities, trying to figure out when this massacre occurred. Patricia and her mom had been planning on visiting her father Fred at the hospital that night. Martin was at work, so they had arranged for a babysitter to be with the children. But shortly before 8 p.m., the hospital called to say Fred wasn't feeling well and asked them to postpone their visit. So Patricia sent the babysitter home around 8.10 p.m. About 8.30 p.m., Martin returned home from work. He'd made a stop at a bakery in Hyde Park, then to get gas at a station on Erie Avenue. At home, he placed the bakery item on the kitchen counter, then went upstairs and changed into casual clothes. All of the victims were still in day clothes when they were found, leading police to believe they were accosted before any of them started preparing for bed. They guessed the time of death was before midnight. Martin and his mother-in-law were found on the floor of the bedroom. Patricia was on the bed next to a sewing kit and a pair of her son's trousers, which she had been mending. Neither woman was sexually assaulted. Authorities said the killers took their time at the home, wiping down the scene. Oddly, they left the steak knives they had turned into weapons, even though they took the electrical cords they'd used to bind their victims. There was plenty of reason to think that these killers knew the family, including the fact that the children were left unharmed and that the bedroom may have been locked to prevent them from seeing what was inside. Also, there was no sign of forced entry, though the back door was found ajar. It seemed likely the killers fled through the large backyard, 
past the log cabin playhouse that Martin had built for his children, beyond the swings and the teeter-totter, and down the dirt path that led to the woods bordering the property. Robbery certainly was not a motive. Nothing was taken, not cash that was sitting on the bedroom dresser, nor expensive jewelry that both women wore. So what was the motive? Who would want the Dumblers dead? Detectives explored the backgrounds of the couple. Martin and Patricia both came from well-to-do local families. Martin carried the name of his grandfather, a Cincinnati businessman, painter, and composer whose choral works earned him an international reputation. Martin's father was president of the family-owned Chatfield and Woods Sack Company. Martin spent a lot of his time traveling as sales manager for the company and was also in the process of taking over from his dad, who was planning to retire. The company made sacks and storage bags. There is some indication the business was struggling, and Martin was trying to expand into new territory. But if that effort resulted in an enemy somewhere, detectives could never say. Patricia was a pretty blonde who was always trying to stop smoking. She had done some modeling for a local dress shop and was looking to return to it now that her children were reaching school age. One source said she had plans to take a job at the Fox and Crow, a posh Cincinnati supper club that, at least years earlier, had ties to the mob. But there was no indication that had anything to do with anything. Martin and Patricia were both graduates of the University of Cincinnati. They were college sweethearts who married after graduation in 1964. They were members of the Cincinnati Country Club. Martin loved to golf, was pretty good at it, too. And the couple often hosted parties and belonged to a social group of about 30 to 40 people who all had season tickets to the Bengals football games. Interviews with friends and family suggested the couple's marriage was strong, no evidence of an affair. The police gave polygraphs to 20 people, family members, co-workers, friends. It was an extraordinary amount, but none revealed a killer. They chased down numerous leads. They learned the Dumblers had their house painted a couple of weeks earlier and searched for the painters to see if there was a connection None was found. A neighbor said she saw a man sitting in a parked car on the street around 8.10 the night before. Someone else saw Patricia talking to someone parked on the street the previous afternoon. Those people were never identified. To this day, investigators have never revealed a strong suspect, if they indeed ever had one. If you have any information that could help this case, no matter how small, please call Cincinnati Crime Stoppers at 513-352-3040. It's an old case, but it's still open, and detectives still review it from time to time. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, share our podcasts everywhere. 
We are currently trying to reach our goal of being the number one podcast on KillerPodcasts.com, which we currently hold the second most listened podcast there. I know you can help us get there. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.